Hello, and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson, and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 689 for release on Sunday, May 8, 2022. On the program today, BBC London celebrates 100 years, meeting wave station 2LO. Radio developments in Eastern Europe, including a radio mystery in Transnistria. And our Philippine DX report from Henry Umaray. On Thursday, May 11, 1922, the second radio broadcasting station in England was inaugurated by the Marconi Company in London under the official call sign 2LO. Next Wednesday, May 11, 2022, forms the exact 100th anniversary of that historic radio event that set a pattern for radio broadcasting in many other countries around the world, as Ray Robinson tells us. Thanks, Jeff. The first radio broadcasting station in England was 2MT, also a Marconi station that was installed at Rittle, near the Marconi Radio Factory in Chelmsford, just three months earlier. For a period of a little over one year, the two Marconi experimental radio broadcasting stations, 2LO in London and 2MT in Rittle, were both active simultaneously, though generally on two different and non-conflicting broadcasting schedules. However, at one stage, both stations were on the air simultaneously for half an hour each Tuesday evening, from 8 until 8.30pm. As a result, the Marconi Company received 200 letters from annoyed listeners who urged 2LO to choose another time for their programming because they wanted to listen to 2MT instead. (laughs) The new broadcasting station 2LO was installed in the top 7th floor of Marconi House in the Strand in London with both the studio equipment and the transmitter in the same room. The antenna system on the roof was made up of two aerial cages of four wires each, suspended from two 50-foot tall masts 100 feet apart. The station began with just 100 watts on 350 metres, 857 kilohertz. Initially, the Marconi 2LO station was on the air for an hour each day. However, during that hour, they were required to maintain a rotating 10-minute schedule, with 7 minutes of programming followed by 3 minutes of silence, during which operators were required to listen for any important or urgent incoming messages. Along with many other major countries throughout the world, the radio scene in England back then was gaining momentum in development. Representatives from many differing radio organisations in England held a series of meetings in an attempt to pave the way for adequate nationwide radio coverage. Out of the meeting in London on October 18, 1922, a new combined radio organisation was formed, the British Broadcasting Company, with the intent of taking over all radio broadcasting activities in the United Kingdom. Less than one month later, the six-month-old Marconi radio broadcasting station in London, the famous 2LO, was taken over as the key station for a nationwide radio broadcasting network. 
The inaugural broadcast from the BBC 2LO in London was staged on the evening of Tuesday, November the 14th, 1922, and by this time the Marconi company had already installed a larger and more powerful transmitter at one and a half kilowatts. The station location was still the same at the top of Marconi House in the Strand. The opening programme under the BBC began with a bulletin of news, read first at normal speed by programme director Arthur Burroughs, followed by his re-reading at a slow speed so that listeners could take notes. A weather forecast followed, together with other items of information and recorded gramophone music. Soon afterwards, during the early part of the new year 1923, the two LO studios were transferred into an established building at nearby Savoy Hill, just off the Strand. This ornate building was constructed in 1889 for medical usage, though it was subsequently taken over by the Institute of Electrical Engineers, who offered accommodation to the BBC for the installation of radio studios. Then, in February 1923, Marconi himself wrote a letter to the radio staff at Rittle, ordering that station 2MT should close, and thus ended the short one-year lifetime for England's first historic radio broadcasting station, though it was subsequently reactivated occasionally for a few special broadcasts. In November 1925, the transmitter facility for the BBC 2LO was transferred from Marconi House in the Strand to the 16-year-old Selfridges department store on Oxford Street. That building was constructed under the auspices of American-born Harry G. Selfridge, who transferred his extensive retail experience from Chicago to London, where he built the second-largest customer shop in the United Kingdom. At one stage, this remarkable structure housed the largest retail bookshop in the world. It had a roof garden, together with a small lake, in which customers could row a canoe, and on four separate occasions it was listed as the best retail shop in the world. Two years later again, in 1927, the original British Broadcasting Company was given a royal charter and became the more familiar British Broadcasting Corporation, the subsequently world-renowned BBC. And then two more years later again, in 1929, the old 2LO transmitter, the third that was on the air under that call sign, was replaced by a new medium-wave transmitter at a new location, Brookmans Park, some 10 miles north of central London. The old 2LO transmitter was switched off, disconnected and simply abandoned, or so it was thought. A quarter of a century later, in 1954, a senior BBC engineer was visiting the Brookmans Park transmitter station and unintentionally he came upon a junk pile of old electronic stuff. Upon making inquiry, he discovered that the junk pile had originally been the third medium-wave transmitter on the air under the historic call sign 2LO. The old dust-covered transmitter parts were reassembled and it was again activated, but low power due to safety considerations. It's now on display as a historic exhibit on the second floor of the Science Museum at South Kensington in London. The Science Museum is one of London's premier tourist attractions, with more than three million visitors each year. And indeed, I remember being taken there in the early 1960s as a young schoolboy on an end-of-term school trip. But I guess I wasn't sufficiently interested in radio back then to observe and remember the 2LO transmitter. The old historic 2LO radio broadcasting station in London, with its three different consecutive transmitters, was on the air for a total of just eight years. 
However, it made such an impact, not only in London, that radio broadcasting stations in other parts of the world wanted to use that same call sign LO. The original Marconi station was awarded the call sign 2LO in 1922. The number 2 was one of the originally recognised radio identifications back then for a local radio broadcasting station in England. The LO obviously identified the City of London, but in pronunciation it could also be recognised as the English language greeting Hello, or as London Cockneys would say, Hello. Just one year after the London station was inaugurated, a radio operator in Sydney, Australia was granted approval to identify his experimental radio broadcasting station as 2LO. The owner was Len Schultz and his station was on the air in suburban Lane Cove. The Len Schultz station 2LO in Sydney was inaugurated on September 21, 1923, though it was on the air for less than one year. However, three years later, Len Schultz became the chief engineer for the better-known medium-wave station in Sydney, Station 2GB, and he designed and constructed their first transmitter. In 1924, another new commercial radio broadcasting station was ready for launch in Sydney. They originally planned to identify as 2LO. That station was owned by Farmer & Company. It was installed in their large department store in Market Street. However, that station was inaugurated under the better-known call sign 2FC. These days, this station is the ABC Radio National 2RN with 50 kilowatts on 576 kilohertz. Over in the city of Melbourne, Victoria, there was another LO medium-wave radio broadcasting station. That station, with the call sign 3LO, was inaugurated on October 13, 1924. And these days, it's another ABC unit with 50 kilowatts on 774 kHz. Beginning in 1928, station 3LO was noted on shortwave over a lengthy period of 60 years, under six different announced call signs. 3LR, VK3LR, VLR, VLG, VLH and Radio Australia. The ABC shortwave station at Lyndhurst was closed in 1987. Next we go to the Australian island of Tasmania, where we discover there was an attempt to launch a new commercial medium-wave radio broadcasting station in the state capital Hobart back in the year 1924. The station first requested the call sign 7AA, but that was rejected. However, due to the fact that the very first transmitter was previously on air in Melbourne under the call sign 3AR, they then requested the call sign 7AR for their new commercial station in Hobart. But that was rejected also, so next they suggested the call sign 7LO, but that too was rejected. Finally, they asked for 7ZL, a call sign with no meaning that was at the end of the English alphabet. And finally, that was acceptable. Commercial station 7ZL was taken over by the ABC in 1932. And these days, it's on the air as ABC Radio National 7RN, with 10 kilowatts on 585 kHz. Over in Africa, there was another LO station, and that was VQ7LO in Nairobi, Kenya a radio broadcasting station with a call sign that looked like it was simply an amateur hobby station. But in August 1928, the Nairobi Broadcasting Station was inaugurated, and it was on the air from transmitters that were also used for international and regional communication. 
Their transmitter facility contained both shortwave and medium-wave transmitters, and they were on the air under the call signs VQG and VQ7LO, which were used according to the service they were carrying, medium-wave, short-wave, communication or radio programming. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Наслідок ракетних ударів по столиці не обійшлося без жертв. Як стало відомо сьогодні зранку, рятувальники знайшли під завалами житлового будинку у Шевченківському районі одну загиблу людину. І нею виявилася наша колега, продюсерка Радіо Свобода Віра Гірич. That was a report on Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's Ukrainian service about their journalist Vera Hirich, who has died in Kiev after a Russian missile attack hit the residential building where she lived in the Ukrainian capital. Hirich's body was found early in the morning on April 29th amid the wreckage of the building, which was hit by a Russian missile the night before, according to RFERL's Ukrainian service. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres was visiting Kiev on April 28th as missile strikes hit the capital, including that apartment block. President Volodymyr Zelensky, who met with Guterres in Kiev briefly an hour earlier, has condemned the missile strikes and called for a corresponding powerful reaction. Hirich, born in 1967, began working for RFERL in February of 2018, Before that, she worked at a leading television channel in Ukraine. She is survived by her parents and an adult son. RFERL President Jamie Fly has paid tribute to journalist Vera Hirich. Speaking to RFERL's Ukrainian service, Radio Svoboda, he said Hirich would always be remembered for sharing the truth. We're devastated by the loss of, of Vera overnight in uh, Kyiv. Uh, obviously, We know that uh, any journalists that are still working inside Ukraine are taking great risks, but obviously uh, Vera's loss is a huge blow uh, to Svoboda, to Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty, especially given that she was just at home in, in Kyiv uh, and was caught up in this senseless attack uh, and were incredibly saddened uh, for her family. Uh, and mourning her loss, given the uh, incredibly important role she played in Svoboda's operations in organizing our production, uh, assisting her colleagues, and uh, we really will uh, always remember her commitment to our mission of sharing the truth, uh, no matter where that, that takes us, and reporting the facts, especially at a moment like this, uh, when so many facts are being disputed uh, around uh, this uh, ridiculous war. That was RFERL President Jamie Fly. Now we move to Transnistria for some very dramatic radio developments. CNN reports that a series of unexplained explosions have occurred in parts of Transnistria, a breakaway territory within Moldova that has housed Russian troops for decades. Two radio towers in the territory were damaged by explosions in the early hours of Tuesday morning, April 26th. The Transnistrian Ministry of Internal Affairs said in a statement. On Monday, a series of explosions had been heard in Transnistria's capital, Tiraspol, near the Ministry of State Security Building, according to Russian state news agency RIA Novosti. 
Transnistria is unrecognized by the international community, which considers it a part of Moldova. But the Moldovan capital, Kishinev, essentially has no control over the territory, which declared itself a republic more than three decades ago. A correspondent for Russian state news agency RIA Novosti said powerful booms were heard in Tiraspol and that windows in neighboring houses were damaged. Two radio towers were subsequently damaged on Tuesday morning. The site where the explosions occurred is known as the Transnistrian Radio and Television Center in Grigoriopol, which was built in the 1960s and is one of 14 Soviet-era radio transmitting centers, according to the Transnistrian Ministry of Internal Affairs. And here's a further report on the Grigoriopol situation from the Association for International Broadcasting. An attack on a major Soviet-era radio transmitting complex near Grigoriopol in the unrecognized breakaway region of Transnistria in Moldova took out the antenna used for two medium-wave transmitters. The Grigoriopol site consists of a number of antenna arrays used for short and medium-wave broadcasting. The site also has a large rotatable antenna. It is understood that the complex, in the area that is essentially controlled by Russia, is used to broadcast Russian-language domestic programs of Vesti Radio on 999 and 1413 kHz. Transmitters at the site are also believed to be hired out to third-party broadcasters. Transworld Radio has used the Gregoriopol complex for medium and shortwave relays of its programs aimed at audiences in Europe and via shortwave in Africa. It is unclear whether these relays were operational at the time of the attack and whether the transmitters were operated by a Russian transmission company or a local Moldovan company. The attack appears to have demolished antenna towers in the main part of the transmitting station site, but not the transmitter hall nor the rotatable antenna at the southwest of the site. Well, that was a report from the Association for International Broadcasting. Kim Elliott, former audience research officer at The Voice of America and currently host of Shortwave Radiogram, says listeners are reporting that shortwave from the Gregoriopol site is off the air, but the medium-wave signals, Radio Russie on 999 and Vesti FM on 1413 AM, are still there. This, he says, would support the hypothesis that this was a false flag operation. The Russians don't need the shortwave, so they blew it up. They do need the medium wave, so it was unscathed. Here now is a recording of Vesti radio on 1413 kilohertz. That's Vesti Radio on 1413 kilohertz, recording from DX Estonia. DX Estonia also provides a recording of Radio Rossiya from Gregoriopol on 999 kilohertz now. The uh, TWR Europe was on that frequency, but it has now moved to 621 kilohertz. Here now is Radio Rossiya.
Сегодня там выпуски Владимир Путин призвал украинских военных выпустить мирных граждан с территории Азовстали, если они там есть. В Минобороны предупредили о провокации в Николаеве. Басманный суд арестовал второго фигуранта дела подготовки убийства журналиста Владимира Соловьева. Далее подробнее. A recording of Radio Russia on 999 They say the radio center is one of the main attractions of Gregoriopol district. The construction of this large building lasted seven years, from 1968 to 1975. In Soviet times, all transmitters were overwhelmed with work 23 hours a day. It broadcast programs on the territory of the Soviet Union and also to foreign countries. The height of the antennas at the center reached 250 meters, Broadcasting covered the entire globe, broadcasting programs for polar explorers in Antarctica, for sailors of the merchant and fishing fleet. The staff of the radio center was one of the first to come under the jurisdiction of independent Pridnestrovia in the early 1990s. It deserves credit for the breakthrough of the information blockade around the Republic, thanks to the powerful transmitter of the radio center in 1992, The voices of Pridnestrovian radio broadcasters were heard for the first time all over the world. There is a still-functioning shortwave antenna with a height of 90 meters capable of changing its radio bearing to rotate around its axis by 360 degrees. In 2007, the enterprise was privatized, and today it's officially called the Pridnestrovian Radio Center. Well, that information from the Pridnestrovian State Agency for Tourism. You're listening to WaveScan from Adventist World Radio. Now let's go to the Philippines. Here's Henry Umarai. Hello, everyone, to our dear shortwave listeners. Wherever you are, welcome to the May 8th edition of the Philippine DX. This is report number 182. I'm Henry Umarai in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental, Central Philippines. Glad to be back, and thank you for listening. I would like to thank our DXer friends for sending the reception report most recently. Mr. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada. Mr. Eugene Corniken in Moscow. Mr. Bill Harms in Walworth, New York, USA. Mr. Rob Denbor in the Netherlands. And Mr. John Zachary Alvarez in Cavite here in the Philippines. To all of you, thank you very much. Reception logs for April 2022. April 3, China National Radio 2. China Business Radio on 17625 in Chinese from Beijing at 0823 SIO 433. April 10, World Christian Broadcasting KNLS on 9580 in English from Anchor Point at, 11, at 1016 SIO 555. April 10, Adventist World Radio KSDA on 17540 in Ilocano from Agat Guam. 
at 1046 SIO 444 April 10 Adventist World Radio KSDA on 15500 in Sundanese from Agat Guam at 1130 SIO 555 April 17 Radio for Asia on 15195 in Laotian from Tinian Island at 1138 SIO 555 April 17 Voice of Korea on 11.735 in French from Kujang at 11.44 SAO 4.34 April 17 Far East Broadcasting Company Radio on 9.795 in Vietnamese from Ibasambalis at 11.46 SAO 4.44 April 24 China Radio International on 12.070 in Filipino from Shenyang at 11.41 SIO 5.55 April 24, China Radio International on 11.955 in Filipino from Kunming at 11.50 SIO 5.55 April 24, Boys of Vietnam on 12.020 in Indonesian from Hanoi Suntai at 10.52 SIO 3.43 April 24, Far East Broadcasting Company Radio on 12.095 in Lu. From Bukawi at 10.50 SIO 4.44 April 24, Voice of America on 11.785 in Chinese from Odontani at 10.06 SIO 3.43 and April 24, Radio Taiwan International on 11.915 in Indonesian from Pauchong at 10.02 SIO 5.55. Send us your comments, suggestions, reception logs, and informations to PilipinasDX at gmail.com. That's P-I-L-I-P-I-N-A-S-D-X for PilipinasDX at gmail.com. This has been Henry Umaday for Wavescan in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Say mabuhay at maraming salamat po. Thank you very much, Henry. And we end this edition of WaveScan with folk music from Moldova. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, we return to the early radio scene in the Canadian province of Manitoba. We'll also have our Bangladesh DX report. Several QSL cards are available for this program. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for the program to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, I'll give you in a moment, and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program, such as today's report from the Philippines. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanon, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, that's Adventist World Radio, 
P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to Wavescan, not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone. Ai dormit baranche iată ce o să faci badila iarna la era la la